When you think of Malta and you think of that long history and you think of what Hitler was after and you think of the secret societies and what every government's after in Malta, one of those aspects that when it came to remote viewing data was that well, we could just say energetic entry port to the underworld. If you're going to go on the sea or go underground, you're going to have tons of... It's like when we were looking in, into cave stories and the, the miners around caves in the previous episode where it's like the amount of superstitions that arise, are they superstitions or not? <laughs> and so I think a lot of this has to do with like, you know, keeping Malta is, is keeping the world under control. was Malta once the most bombed place in the world? Ancient stones and international mysteries reveal that Malta is a lot more interesting than much of the world gives it credit for. Why have so many governmental peacekeeping meetings happened on the tiny island? Why were the Malta Conference and Malta Summit so pivotal in history? Why did it take a single BuzzFeed article to bring the American tourism industry's attention to Malta? Hear my investigative research into history and John Vivanco's remote viewing data on the singing stones of Gozo and Adam's calendar. Join John and me, Rob Counts, for a metaphysical show that's out of this world. And if you're listening to the Metaphysical Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else, leave us a five-star rating and review to help us reach even more people. Remember, you've also got to like, follow, and subscribe on YouTube, Rumble, Ganjing World, Twitter, and Facebook. Okay, this 1940... Uh, National Geographic historical summary of Malta is really interesting. I like looking at old articles because I feel like the 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 further you go back, the less tainted by agenda these articles were. They, I mean, you know, there's there's a speech where um, Abraham Lincoln is talking about giants. Like that happened. You know what I mean? It's like back then there wasn't. No one was covering this stuff up. It was like they were finding this stuff. It was what it was. And, you know, it took a long time for them to to bury these things uh, in history. So the National Geographic historical summary is pretty interesting. It talks about um, a very ancient past uh, of Malta, where uh, even starting here, the ancient Phoenicians were the first colonizers allegedly in this article using the land as a base for western explorations then they were supplanted in the 6th century bc by the carthaginians who in turn were conquered by the then romans so now we've already gone through three separate um empires you could even say right rome gave way to the uh, byzantine greeks who then let it pass into the hands of the Saracens. Um, then came the Normans, then the Spaniards, and for almost 300 years, the Knights of St. John, also known as the Knights of Malta, uh, defended their shores against the Turks. It says here in this article, this is funny, um, 
This order, which is more commonly known as the Knights of Malta, is among the most colorful groups of actors on the stage of history. I like how they say that. Why? Why are they one of the most colorful groups? I think there's I think it's it's alluding to the the sort of conspiracy theories around the knights, right? Must. Yeah, must be history, their connection to the Knights Templar. The fact that when they held off the Ottomans, they basically became heroes overnight in all of Europe for holding them off. And then it just gave a whole bunch of wind in the sails of the Christians. Holy Roman Empire, big deal. Though varied in descent, Norman, Italian, and Spanish, uh, they maintained in Malta one of the most trouble-free governing organizations in history, remnants of the culture which they uh, preserved from the earlier Mediterranean civilization with the armor and coats of arms of the knights themselves are now on display in the palace of the Grand Masters in the capital, Valletta. This is really interesting. Look what it says here, John. Remnants of the culture which they preserved from the earlier Mediterranean civilization. Huh. That's interesting. And like along with the armor and the coat of arms of the knights themselves are now on display in the palace of the grandmasters yeah. in the Capitoletta. So they were, they must have had some of this stuff on display for a while there. Yeah, right. Who knows what they had, like elongated skulls, maybe giant bones. You don't know. Yeah, I, I think probably a lot of that stuff uh, made its way to the Vatican. Um, Absolutely, for sure. Um, but is this is this what the National Geographic article is saying? Is are they saying that currently they have this from the 1500 civilization that was there, 1300 to 1500, whatever civilization? Or is this like are they referring to when they were there in the 1500s? They had it from the previous civilization. I would imagine it's talking about the situation now or like 1940s, like at at the time of this article. Um, The reign of the Knights was shattered when Napoleon thundered through on his way to Egypt in 1798. And he soon lost to Admiral Nelson, who brought this naval prize under the British flag. The Knights came to the island in 1530. Fifty years later, they built the capital, Valletta, with its majestic buildings the order continued to flourish for two centuries, but finally succumbed to the power of Napoleon. So Napoleon, so Napoleon did take over the island at one point. Well, he he definitely um, he definitely kicked the Knights of Malta out, right? For at least a period before British took it back, right? So this is interesting. I mean, you know, this is like goes back probably. It's, it was a British obsession with the island. I mean, obviously. From the perspective of the um, geopolitical structure, but what else? I mean, you're talking what the Habsburgs were, uh, the ones that originally were um, very interested in the island, and you get into these all these secret societies around it, and you get into Hitler, you get into him and his obsession, occult obsessions, occult. We're talking occult obsessions big time right so when i think of a cult i i normally go towards like ideas of like lower astral types of entities 
and being able to manipulate or work with lower astral types of entities, right? And so, so I have heard in passing that if you can control the lower astral, if you can control the astral, you can control the 3D reality as well. Meaning that there's so much interplay between the two that that you can use beings in that astral realm to do your bidding here on the 3D realm that is beyond what people here can do. So when you think of Malta, when you think of Malta and you think of that long history and you think of what Hitler was after and you think of the secret societies and what every government's after in Malta, one of those aspects and when it came to remote viewing data was that, well, we could just say energetic entry port to the underworld to the lower astral realms, right? So that's another aspect to this, where there's a strong root, I guess you could call it that, in that location that these powers that be connect into, want to connect to. My, my perception is that the secret societies that go into the conspiratorial realm um, in the world that we live in and what we talk about their intention is to connect with that realm right their intention is to connect with that realm so that they can bring it that power of it that control of it into this realm that's the ceremonies that are done to bring these beings forth um the entry points they try to find to get their obsession their obsession with king solomon who used a right. ring to control lower astral demons to basically create his entire exactly <laughs> exactly 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 and and malta is one of those places that for whatever reason is a route into that type of a realm not just like you know relics from the templars um that they hid there not just ancient civilizations but we're talking about an entry portal and entry point we get into these stories of underground civilizations it's like we often end up in a different realm in a different world and when we do that we are going into mostly a lower astral type of situation lower astral realm type of situation because you have vibrational properties in the stones and the rocks and whatnot in order to have these places traversable and so I think a lot of this has to do with like, you know, keeping Malta is, is keeping the world under control. It's like, it's kind of like the story you guys did a story on an edge of wonder at one point, the, the relics of power and, um, the spear that oh, yeah. I think that was like, it was the spear that, 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 that hit, that they punctured Christ with on the cross. Yes. Right? This is the spear um, of destiny. Yep. Spear of destiny. Now, wasn't there something about that? If, if somebody hold if somebody controls that spear they can control the world right yeah. is that what okay i think it has to do with malta i think if somebody holds malta they control the world now you would say like the british hold malta and oh the british don't control the world but you're not thinking you're thinking about nation states right these are not in existence when you get to that one percent of the one percent those nation states don't matter you're talking about control of every person on this planet, not nation states. This so really weird. <laughs> Be yeah. So, okay, this there is a 1942 article uh, called the Malta Mystery that we tracked down, 
And I'm going to quote from this. Um, the mystery is why Hitler finds Malta so much more important now than when he was pressing his two big Libyan offenses. Of course, that British base is a threat to Axis supply lines to Africa, but rather less now than when Axis traffic was heavier and the hot season presumably is too far advanced now to prepare a new Libyan drive. The sudden value Hitler places on Malta is indicated by his willingness to withhold hundreds of Nazi planes needed on the Russian front. They were getting wow. their asses handed to them by, uh, by Russia. <clears throat> to use yeah. them against this island in four days, he lost 128 planes. I referenced that before. Destroyed or damaged and keeps on coming from which it is assumed that Hitler is ready to pay almost any price to capture Malta. Wait, 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 wait. like why would he pay yeah. almost any price? Because why? he can lose everything, gain Malta and gain the world. Right. Yeah. Right. He must have known that at some point. There oh, must have yeah. been something that he that that drove him to to die on that hill. Right. Which which is actually a really funny analogy because Malta basically is a massive hill, um, or it was in the ancient world when the when oh, the yeah, sea it was, was a mountain. It was a mountain right. that was very high above sea level before the floods. Right. Okay, so fast forward a little bit. Um, Malta, Britain takes Malta. Um, in 1938, imports totaled nearly 20 million. But exports were less than 1.25 million. Wow. <laughs> Sounds pretty economically impossible. It um, does. The British Navy pays thousands of pounds each year to workers, craftsmen, and merchants at the time. Under British influence, Malta's population increased twofold until the close of the World War when Malta was in shambles because of it being the most bombed place. Now, check this out. Voltaire is quoted as saying, nothing is known better than the siege of Malta. <laughs> this is from, obviously, the siege of the Ottomans, right? There is a, in 1945, there's this thing called the Malta Conference. It's January 30th to February 5th, 1945. President Franklin D. Roosevelt is there, Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and the official purpose of this meeting was to plan the final campaign against the Germans with the combined chiefs of staff from the U.S. and the U.K. and a plan for post-war Europe. So they, the weird thing, John, is that this conference, the code name for this conference was Argonaut <laughs> and Cricket. Do you know what Jason of the Argonauts was? Yeah, this I do. Search for the Holy Grail. Right. Why would they call it that? Exactly. Why would they call it that? <laughs> I know. And then throughout history, we have, you know, this order of the Golden Fleece that's overseeing Malta. That's Charles V all the way back to Philip the Good that we discussed. That's strange. Well, you know, they're 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 trying to suck on that lower astral portal there in Malta. So it's the, like it's like yeah. a feeding ground. Yeah, there it is. This sign for the golden fleece. Um, so 
Argonaut is a reference to Greek mythology heroes who accompanied Jason in his quest to find the Golden Fleece. References to the Golden Fleece are found in secret societies from the 1400s or earlier. Yeah, the the Order of the Golden Fleece is its own just massive rabbit hole we mentioned. Um, then in 1989, check this out. Malta becomes an- like again the center of the world when President George H.W. Bush and Mikhail Gorbachev meet from December 2nd to the 3rd in 1989, just a few weeks after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. <laughs> so it really, it's, it's sitting on the seat of power for this planet. That's crazy. It's so weird. Yeah. So news reports at the time referred to the Malta Summit as one of the most important since the World War II's Malta Conference. And, you know, at that Malta Conference that we mentioned before, Churchill was hoping to really talk through how to handle Russia because Russia was becoming such a such a dangerous communist power, but they didn't get to it. Uh, they right. were only able to handle like Hitler at that time. Right, right. Malta, you know, when you get to Malta, like there's another really big reason. And the big reason we're going to get into this later has to do with some significant event that took place there, like way, way, way deep in history that the ancient bloodlines are so obsessed with that think they are connected to. But we'll get to that later. But it's like when Bush and Gorbachev show up in Malta for this summit, also at the end of World War II, going to Malta to have the meeting, it's reasserting that energy, that seat of power by these people, in a sense, who are behind the scenes. The ones you don't know about, you think your politicians in your individual countries actually do things that matter? No, they don't make one bit of difference when it comes to where this planet where certain people want to take this planet in general. Right. It all <laughs> ties into Malta. It all ties into Malta. <laughs> so weird. So so after this 1989 conference, basically, you know, Malta kind of disappears from, from the world's headlines, right? It just goes back to, you know, the small uh, hidden country of Malta, uh, that no one really, I mean, the British eventually give it back to the Italians. Now it's, now it's, you know, officially, um, owned by the Italians. Um, we just don't hear anything from, from Malta until about 2014 when, I mean, think about it. Now I want you to think about this. All of the megalithic sites that are on Malta, no one's talking about any of this stuff. And no, no one's talking about it. Yeah, it's just quiet. Like, not nothing. No one's really There's talking nothing about going this. on here, guys. Nothing going on here. Let's just not have any anyone report on Malta at all for any reason, so that no one looks into the megalithic sites on Malta. Okay, I don't know if anyone said that. I'm just, I'm just, yeah. you know, this is conjecture. <laughs> right. In 2014, a BuzzFeed staff writer named Aaron Chack who was basically strapped for content and had a deadline posts this article um, because she remembers that her grandfather was from Malta. So she starts looking into it and um, she just posts this article. That's like 14 picks. Um, 
that prove Malta is the most underrated country in the Mediterranean. Now, the next morning, she wakes up to a flood of notifications, and apparently, you know, Malta doesn't get written about a lot, as we were just saying, by any of the U.S. media. Uh, and everybody on Malta was pumped, and all of these Maltese people are messaging her to thank her for the promotion. Um, and she was just kind of like, well, I mean, thanks for having a, a gorgeous country. Right. And she starts getting offers from Maltese hotels to stay free, uh, free meals. Apparently the food on Malta is great. Um, architect Chris Mintoff started a fundraising page to get her to visit Malta, but she just kind of wanted to like disappear. She didn't really like, like yeah. I guess she just felt uncomfortable by all of the, you know, press on her. But eventually she ends up going to Malta uh, in 2017 and she tracked down this guy, Chris Mintoff, and he uh, brought her to the office of the prime minister, which is the equivalent of the White House there. Who knows if she met the prime minister, he brought her there, you know. And um, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. And it's just the question is, like, why did it take until 2014 for the American people to realize that Malta was a hot spot, you know? Right, right, right. That's really interesting. You know, and Malta is beautiful from what I've seen. Absolutely yeah. stunning location. Um, and, you know, I just want everyone to know <clears throat> across the world, Maltese who listen to this, we're not bashing at all on Malta when we talk about these stories, Okay just want you to know okay because what the weird stuff that we get into here it's gonna go that way <laughs> it's gonna get weird but we you have to understand like we're we're we don't have anything against the country or the people there and no. it shouldn't even be taken as such i mean things that happen in ancient times have no bearing on the people that are there now right 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 you know and then ancient apocalypse episode two uh, we have Graham Hancock very quickly in his series bringing up Gigantia. Gigantia right. being referenced as being older than the pyramids of Giza. Say that again. Gigantia, older than the pyramids of Giza. Right. Yes, it's much older than that. Wow. Man, oh man. <laughs> Now. You want to, yeah, you just talk about this a little bit because, you know, wow. Gigantia. We got some weird stuff on this. So I'm just, let's just like let this unroll. This is, I mean, we're talking about a place where some of these stones are 50 tons. 50 ton stones to build this megalithic temple. And ancient man is supposed to have done that? That just doesn't add up to me. No, especially when a lot of the thought around ancient man was the stature, the size, etc. So yeah, no, it doesn't add up. They had no wheel. <laughs> they hadn't invented wheels yet. We, we have wheels and we wouldn't be able to do that. Right. I think it's important to note another thing about this Gigantia and a number of other temples that we're going to go into are perfectly aligned with things like the equinox or the equinoxes. 
where the 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 light actually floods into those places during those times. You know, the calendar of Menagerie. It, it was yeah, like I know, I know. You know, you get this, but you, like, like look at Adam's calendar in uh, South Africa. Adam's calendar that Michael Tellinger has been, you know, taking care of the site, investigating it. I mean, that's aligned with Orion in, in a specific way, just like some of these temples are. So there's this ancient knowledge of, of uh, the importance of these star systems and star clusters to these people that they make alignment with. What does that mean as well? You know, I mean, what does that mean? Why, why would ancient humans align these with stars? What was so important about the star systems? Okay. And here you can see the picture of, of, of the light flooding in through this doorway. This is okay. This is Menagerie, which is now this light flows in to these temples on the 22nd and 23rd. But if you, if you rewind the Earth's placement, 15,000 or more years, <clears throat> you're lining up exactly on the 21st. Which would make sense. Yeah, if it was built, if it was yeah. built way back then. Back. Right? Yeah. Very yeah, interesting. ceremonial. Yeah, ceremonial place. But ceremony for what? Ceremony for what? <laughs> That's scary. Yeah. Well, you know, there's actually, uh, I think on Gozo, which is another island right next to Malta, part of Malta, uh, one researcher had found some stones that they consider singing stones where there's different tones when you strike it on different locations of the rock, different tones come out, which is interesting too, because you find this in other locations across the world, like Adam's calendar. Um, where there are stones. In fact, Adam's calendar being a constructed site, very old of these sort of monoliths uh, in a circle and configuration, a lot of the stones that are in that monolith are tonal. They have very interesting tonal qualities to them. The Shilpa art of temple building is one of the oldest industries of humanity and has created extraordinary monuments and sacred sculptures. Why is that, right? Why, you know, when you get to these ancient sites, you often find there's a, a different, really early culture way before humans on the planet, when you remote view them at least, that were interested in these tonal qualities. Very interesting, which leads into all sorts of stuff. Like it, it opens up this massive rabbit hole when you start talking about this and start remote viewing it. It does. And, and if they were, if they were advanced enough to build temples that could exactly align with megalithic stone, then were they just aware of a technology revolved around acoustics that we were not aware of? I mean, look at the, uh, the how Safliani hypogeum that has the acoustic room. The Oracle. Right, that's the one underground, right? This is one of the temples that we'll be getting into later in the in the series, you guys. But this room, apparently, the acoustics are mind-boggling. Not just strange, but actually, like it penetrates your body. You feel it right. throughout your body when someone speaks in here at certain tones. That is. 
there's a lot there's a lot there it's not just this i mean across this planet there have been there are archaeo uh acoustio archaeology acoustic archaeology what what is the term archaeoacoustics maybe that's what it is um there's a study of this because there's a lot of structures across the planet that seem to have been built just for acoustic reverberations um and and basically they're thought of as some type of ceremonial site that humans created in order to go into maybe a different um, perception of reality, <clears throat> shamans, drugs, um, oracles, psychic stuff. And you find that there on Malta too. You've got a hypogeum underground. I think it's 110, 111 Hertz that are reverberating in there. Carved into the limestone without metal tools. Well, that's what they say. I know, but it's like, that's why I'm saying that. Like, how is that possible? How is that even possible? Right. How is that possible? Well, that's the whole thing of the pyramids too, at Giza, where it's, it's like, yeah, stone chisels, maybe copper at times, copper or stone, stone chisels. They built the pyramids with, Uh uh-huh. With the alignment of those, with the, like you can't fit a blade of grass between them, and the cut, the cuts on some of these things, yeah. Well, that's just the gaslighting. It is though. Yeah. <clears throat> huh. So, you know, if that wasn't enough, what we were just talking about, you guys, the boats on Malta are also very curious. Let's say the water, so we're lower by about four hundred feet. Uh, what, 130 meters or whatever it was. Let's say the surrounding areas of Malta were lower, which would make Malta a lot bigger and or connected to other land masses, potentially even connected to Africa. Well, absolutely. Maybe the Egyptians had access to Malta because we're seeing that these Maltese ships have the eye of Horus on the ships, which is an obviously ancient hat tip to the eye of Horus, the eye of Ra, the eye of Osiris, whatever you want to call it right. on their ships, which is supposed to be to protect them uh, on the sea. And this is this is culturally something that would be on old Egyptian ships if they right. were to fare the sea. That's crazy. You know what? I didn't know that they had the eye. Of, I didn't know they had the eye of Ra on their yeah, ships. They have. Wow. They I don't. I can't remember exactly what they call it, but it is the eye of Horus and it's right on the tips of their ship and the, and the seamen there really believe that this eye protects them from dangers on the ocean. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, if you're, if you're going to go, if you're going to go on the sea or go underground, you're going to have tons of, it's like when we were looking into cave stories and the, the miners around caves in the previous episode where it's like, the amount of superstitions that arise, are they superstitions or not? Right. It's like, yeah, no, it's to protect you. Yeah, your everyday life, you know, going to the store, hanging out in your house. I mean, what do you need all the protection for when you're going underground or in the ocean? Yeah, yeah, you're going to look for these. <laughs> like bad weather. I think they even think, you know, if they don't have the eye on their ships, it's almost like anything could happen to them. Right. It's, it's a strange symbolic protection of the gods right you know present on their ship a hat tip to history as well goodness that's really really interesting now um 
some call it the evil eye, which is used to ward off evil in many cultures. Keep an eye on evil, I guess. The question really is then, what exactly is on Malta? What? We talked a lot about the history, and man, I mean, we've hit so many things already, and we haven't even gotten into too much about what's on You know, we could go forever, actually, on the really bizarre things that are there without even going into connecting these things together or remote viewing data or whatever. It it can be endless, literally. It could. That's how strange this tiny island is. All right. So for those of you listening at home, if you have been listening to all this history that, I mean, I'm more confused about Malta than I was when I began, that's for sure. Uh, But the question we're coming to is, what's actually on Malta? We spent a lot of time talking about the history. We've only talked about the sites and the megalithic temples a little. Uh, But if you think the story ends with the history, uh, we've got another thing coming to you. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. John, thanks so much for being with us. Did you have anything else to add? No, just stick around because it's going to get weird. (laughs) It's going to get even weirder. All right. Well, we hope you guys thought this episode was as out of this world as we did. And we'll see you next time. 